Join us as we read together this morning the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of God? Amen. So we're going to start today a series called Storytime, and we're going to talk about the parables of Jesus. Now, understand this. I, I, like, I like what Jesus does here. I love the fact that Jesus tell stories to get his illustration and his point across. And so what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through this series of different parables that Jesus told. Now, oftentimes, Jesus will use two examples of two different kinds of people to drive home the kind of point that this is who we need to look like. And so today we're going to look at the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, uh, and you know, we just, we just had, uh, we just read the, the story, and uh, the story reveals a lot. It reveals God's compassion. It reveals God's character. It reveals what attracts God. It reveals what repels God. I don't know about you, but I want to know that 100%. I want to, I want to be well acquainted and understand what, what is it that attracts the presence of God in my life, and what is it that repels the presence of God in my life. One of my, one of my old pastors always used to say, serving God is simple. Find out what God likes and do that. Find out what God doesn't like and don't do that. And to me, that's just a very simple way to look at it. And so there are things that attract the heart of God and there are things that repel the heart of God. And today we're going to see through the lives of these two different men how to attract the heart of God. Amen? So let's start with uh, the Pharisee. Now, for those of you who don't understand who the Pharisees were, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Okay? They, they, were the, they were the church leaders. They were the elite. They were the best of the best. I'll tell you a little bit about them, but let's look at how the, the Pharisee described himself. Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. It says, The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Like, the very first thing that we see about the Pharisee is the Pharisee is a very big fan of the Pharisee. Did you notice that? That dude is, is a fan of himself. That, that dude is, is excited about who he is. And you got to understand who he is. The Pharisees, like I said, they were the religious leader of the times, but they were the best of the best of the best. When you were a Jewish child growing up in Israel, when you're born, you, you, it really, it, it all starts with the kind of family you're born into. You want to be born into the right family. And then as you get older and you start grade school, you start memorizing 
books of the Bible so that by the time you're like in third or fourth grade, you have now memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've, you've started memorizing all these by heart. Some of you are still working on Jesus wept. Right? By the time, can you imagine by the time you're in third grade, I'm always impressed by the kid at the Christmas pageant that can tell you the whole entire Christmas story, right? Aren't you impressed with that? Look, can you imagine being a third grader who knows the first five books of the Old Testament by heart? That usually separated who was going to make it and who wasn't, who was going to become a religious leader and who was going to become a fisherman, right? It was this. And so these guys were considered the best of the best of the best. They came from the best families. They were the smartest. They were the brightest. They were the ones who could memorize. They were the ones who could, who could do that. And if, and if a rabbi looked at this kid and he said, I think that he has what it takes, he would then move him into his house and he would kind of extend his yoke. He would, he would teach him how to be a rabbi, how to be a Pharisee. So, so you see right here, these guys are the best of the best of the best. So when he's saying, I'm not like these other guys, he's not wrong. Ceremonially speaking, he is perfect. He does all the right things. He washes his hands when, he wa- when he's supposed to wash his hands, he, which doesn't sound like a high mark for excellence to me. Like, I think we should all be doing that, right? Like, hand sanitizer for everybody. But, but he, he in, in, in regards to ceremonies and regards to religiousness, he is blameless. And yet he says these things. And it kind of cracks me up because his prayer is like, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other punks. And I'm really glad that I'm not like that poor schmuck over there, the tax collector. Does that rub anybody else the wrong way? It's kind of mind-blowing. The problem with the things the Pharisee said was that it was jam-packed with pride. Amen? He was jam-packed with pride. I, I would say that if, if uh, the Pharisee, could you imagine like if the, if the Pharisee put out a worship album, what that would look like? In fact, I think we have it. Here, check this out. It's all about me. It is all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you because you are unique and you love you there is none like me no one else all this can for do only 1995 like operators do. are standing by to serve you and i am why i sing and i am why i live if you order now you'll also receive a second cd of yule tide favorites Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at me-myself-and-I.com. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME.
call today because no one can praise you like you. Well, how many of you guys are glad that he's not our worship leader? I could not stick around with a voice like that. Thank God that we, we have Pastor Zach because I couldn't do it. If, if, if the Pharisee had his own worship album, it would sound something like, I think my favorite one is I Exalt Me. I don't know why, but that one cracks me up. Very prideful, very proud of who he is. And the thing about him that really, I think, puts a, a distaste in the heart of God. In fact, when you see that Jesus came, he didn't have a problem with the tax collectors of the world. He had a problem with those who thought they were better than everybody else. Amen? His faith was in his ability to keep the law rather than God's ability to save him from the law. You guys are quiet today. Thanks. Thanks, Diana. He basically told God, God, I, I've got this. I'm doing it well on my own. Doing just fine, and I don't need your help. That's a dangerous place to be. And here's the thing that I've learned. There are still modern-day Pharisees all over the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't start amen and better, I'm going to play that video over and over again. We're going to put it on a continuous loop until you start amen and better. <laughs> there you go. His ability to keep the law was more important than God's ability to pull him out of the sin in his life. Jesus actually called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, everything was great, but the condition of his heart repelled God. I heard a phrase, and I think that this quote is, is a, I think it's dead on. It said this, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. We all know the person, right? We got somebody in our life. Do we have somebody in our life? If you're like, no, I don't know anybody. Might be you. Just a heads up. May want to chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because I don't know. It could be you. We all have that person that we know and they're like, you're like, man, if you would just take it down about five notches, I could stomach being around you. But until then, no thanks. Don't you wish that just like on social media, you could like unfollow people with like, without them knowing, like, but like in, in person, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like, I wish there was a mute button on some people, you know what I mean? Just sneak up on them and hit that bad boy. We all know that guy that's very, very proud of himself, but the fact of the matter says this in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's not pleased when we are proud of who we are. Now, there's, a, there's another side of it as well, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But pride repels the heart of God. And if you have more faith in your ability to take care of your life than God's ability to do so, that is a bad place to be standing. You are now standing in a place that repels God. When you begin to be the one who says, that I'm responsible for the life that I'm living. 
I'm responsible for how far I've come. I mean, to a certain degree, we, we are. I mean, but, but come on. Here the Pharisee just says, I'm just so glad I don't screw it up like these guys and I don't mess it up like these guys that I got it together and all the things that I'm doing, it's a dangerous place to be. On the, on the flip side of the coin, we have the tax collector. We have the tax collector. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, the very next thing says, and the tax collector was standing afar off. He would not so much as even raise his eyes to heaven, but would beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, here, here the fact of the matter is, is that if the tax collector is calling himself a sinner, he's probably not wrong. We've talked a little bit about this, what a tax collector does. A tax collector in this scenario, and it's funny to me that Jesus uses polar opposites. The best of the best of the best, and the guy who's cheating people with the, the authority of the Roman government. you got to understand, the tax collector, you, you would have grown up with the tax collector. Your boy from high school, sold out, and now he's working for the Roman government, and he's going and he's collecting taxes at everybody's and he gets to take as much as he wants he'll take what 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 is required by rome but then he'll say okay now it's time for me and he go in your house and he look around and be like okay we want that and we want that and he'd take your stuff did you guys know that's what they did and you could say that you were going to do something about it but there was always a couple centurions standing behind them with those sick silly hats that you could scrub a floor with and what are you going to do about it what are you going to do about it I remember I've been that guy before. I've been, I've been the, the muscle before. I remember a friend of mine made just a stupid bonehead decision. He, <laughs> he was doing construction at his house, and so he took a bunch of his trash, and he was like, instead of trying to get to the transfer station, he went and dumped it in a business's dumpster. The problem was... <laughs> The problem was it was a, a dumpster that was for all metal. And so they saw that it was trash, and they're like, that's not right. So they pull it out, and they find mail to his house. Oh, Police officer shows up. He's like, here's a ticket for dump, illegal dumping. Now you need to go, and you need to clean it up. And, uh, and so he had to go to the factory to face the owner of the factory. And he's like, Pastor Terry, will you go with me, please? And I'm just like, sure, I'll go. So I went, and I'm just kind of shaking my head, laughing at him the whole time, like, you're an idiot. You are an idiot. I love you. You're my friend, but you're dumb, right? And, uh, and so the, the owner of the company was just furious, and he's like, we already cleaned it up, and, and, and you did this, and you did this, and, and, but, but my friend needed a, a letter from him saying that he, was, that, he wasn't, that he didn't need to be charged to the judge. So he was like trying to figure out how to, how to bridge the gap here. And I remember he just got mad and he kicked us both out of his factory, right? And somebody knew the factory owner. He called him. He's like, hey, he's a good guy. He just made a big mistake. He's like, well, tell him to come back, bring the money that I, pay, that I paid my guys to clean up that he, the, that he cost me, and tell him not to bring his bulldog. I'm not going to beat him up. I was like, I'm a bulldog. I'm a bulldog. It's like, woo, I'm a bulldog. And that's what, so that's what you had back here. You, that story was a roundabout way to just tell you that I was a bulldog one time, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> 
But they had the authority of the big guy behind them. If you did something about it, they were going to do something about it. And those guys were bad news. You didn't want to mess with them. And so the Pharisees may have been perfect, but the tax collector was a thief. And more than that, he grew up in your neighborhood. He was your friend. And now he's cheating you. And he's cheating your family. He's cheating your mama. And so when you hear he's a friend of the tax collector, it, it, it is, a, it is a, uh, it's a scathing remark. He's not the best of the best of the best. It was decided by the time he was in elementary school whether he was good enough, and it was decided that he wasn't. So now this is who he's going to be. So he looks at himself in the mirror, and he's not happy with what he sees. And the tax collector responded to God in humility. Now, this is how we should be. We should walk in humility. We should do our absolute best to be humble. I always made a joke, and I had to, finally I had to start prefacing that it was a joke. I would, tell, I would tell my students when I was a youth pastor, I'd be like, luckily I don't struggle with humility. I pride myself on my humility. I'm just saying if there was an award for being humble, I'd probably get it. And my kids are like, and their, their newcomer friends would be like, your youth pastor is a jerk. I'm like, it's a joke. It's irony. Wake up. If you tell somebody, luckily, I don't struggle with humility, you struggle with humility. And so here's the, here is the, the tax, tax collector. He responds in humility, which is where we should be because we can chase humility or humility can chase us. Did you hear that? I heard, a, I heard another phrase, and I think it's a good one to live by. It says, be humble or you'll stumble. Let me ask you this. Anybody else got the guilty pleasure of watching instant karma videos online? Anybody else love it? Like, I, it's a guilty pleasure. It is what it is. You got, this, you got this Karen who's being a jerk to somebody at the grocery store, and she slips on a banana and lands in a bunch of eggs. It's awesome. Let's, like, I, w- I will watch that all day long. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? But we all kind of like watching that person get humbled a little bit. And you're, if you're telling me that you don't, I'm not sure I believe you. You're getting all sanctimonious on me. We all love to see that instant karma. But when somebody walks in humility, it attracts the heart of God. It says in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. I don't know about you guys, I want to live a uh, a, a life in such a way that, that God sees humility in the way that I operate, in the way that I operate, especially with others. But here's the thing, and, and I, this is the, kind of the point that I think is so important for all of us to get. You have the Pharisee on one side, and he's like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these poor other schmucks. I get it right when they're all screwing up. And then you've got this other guy who is beating himself up so bad, it says that he stood afar off. He was separating himself from God because he was standing afar off, and he wouldn't even look up, and he wouldn't even raise his eyes, and all he could do was beat his chest and say, have mercy on me, O God, for I'm a sinner. Neither of them have it 100% correct. Think about that for a second. Because both men had their eyes on themselves. You had the Pharisee pointing out all of his accomplishments, all of his accolades, all the things that he's done that puts him at the best of the best of the best. And then you have the, the, the tax collector, and his eyes were on his failure. 
So much so that it kept him away from God. It kept him away from this moment. And I want you to understand, friends, we talk about humility as a virtue, but there's a difference between humility and beating yourself up. Amen? I want you to learn to be very careful to walk that line correctly. I want to see a congregation where we walk humbly, but I do not want to see a congregation where we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves over our heads so much so that it separates us from God and it separates us from all that he has in store for us. You know that you can remove yourself from all the amazing things that God has simply because you stand afar off and say, I'm not good enough. Thank God that it's him who makes us good enough. Thank God that it's his grace and his mercy that qualifies us and not that of our own. See, these two men, they had their eyes on themselves. We have to take our eyes off of ourselves, put them on Jesus and his ability to do the miraculous in us. That's really good. Uh, I think second service is going to like it better than you guys did. Hmm. Are them fighting words right there? Now are you ready to jump in with me? Using first and second service against each other. It's fun. Sorry. It's not right. It's like my, this child would, be, would, would clean their room, but you... Uh, that's not right. We have to take our eyes off of ourselves, put them on Jesus and his ability to do the miraculous in us. And he said he got it right when he finally, there was a moment where he stood afar off. There was a moment where he wouldn't even look up to heaven. There was a moment where he was separated. But then the moment that he said, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner, that's when you attract the heart of God. It's kind of like in baseball when you, when you have the signs. When you, when you're, you, anybody ever play baseball before? Your coach gives you the signs. You do all these things, right? You do all these things, but none of it matters until you get the indicator. And when I played, the indicator was across the chest, and then, and then the very next thing that you do, he would, he would go across the chest and maybe his arm, hand down his left arm, and that means L, lay down the bunt. But I, 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 dis, I disavow all this stuff, all these things, you know, like, forget all that. Until the indicator. And once the indicator goes across the chest, the very next thing you need to pay attention to is the next thing he does. Our indicator with God is a heart of humility and a heart of repentance to say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He ignores all the other stuff, all the other things that we throw at him. But until he hears the words, I repent, have mercy, now we've got his attention and he can move in our lives. So we walk in humility. But we don't beat ourselves up and we don't stand so far back that we miss out on what God has in store for us. When he said, have mercy on me, that was when his heart turned to the right place because he took his eyes off of himself and put them on God. And friends, that's what I want you to do today. I don't want you to have your eyes on yourself in such a way that you see all the great things that you're doing. I don't want you to have your eyes on yourself in such a way that you look at yourself and see all the bad things that you're doing. I want you to have your eyes on Jesus and his ability to change you from the inside out. This is why the disciples, this is why the 12 were so powerful for the Lord, because their eyes were on Jesus. Jesus Christ, and you look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, I have nothing else to say, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He had his eyes on Jesus and all the things that Jesus could do, and because of that, God used them 
in a big way. The, the disciples weren't the best of the best of the best. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were, they were your average human. One of which would, would steal from him and cause him to steal from Jesus and cause him to be, to be beaten and bruised and hung on a cross. They weren't the best of the best of the best. But they were willing to say, God, have mercy on me. Here I am, a sinner. What can you do in my life? And guys, you can play something in the background. That'd be awesome. I'm done almost. When God's looking for people that he can use, he's not looking for the Stephen Furtick's of the world, although I, I think Stephen Furtick is amazing. I think he's awesome. And he's not looking for the Craig Rochelle's of the world, and I think Craig Rochelle is absolutely amazing, an amazing pastor. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. Somebody that he can use. But you've got to take your eyes off of your failures and you've got to take your eyes off of your successes and you've got to put them on Jesus and trust him to use you in ways that you never thought could ever be possible. See, neither the tax collector nor the Pharisee had it right. Both of them had their eyes on themselves. And I'm telling you, it's time to take our eyes off of us, put them on him, and let him work in our lives. Because God's looking for people that he can use to revolutionize the world and it's not the people behind the pulpit that he wants to use. It's the people sitting in the seats. Amen. I can't go to your office with you. I can't go to your factory with you and talk to the guy running the press beside you. That's what you can do. I can't go to your kids' sporting events and impact your coach. That's what you can do. I can't go to your family gatherings. That's what you can do. God's looking for people who can revolutionize the world around them and he's not looking for the best of the best of the best. He's looking for the willing who will take their eyes off of themselves, put them on Jesus and say, here I am. Have mercy on me and use me any way that you can. And Jesus said in his parable that it was that guy that went home justified. It was that guy who was right in the eyes of the Lord. Go ahead and stand to your feet. So I guess my question for you today is, are you, are you running the comparison game right now? Are you, thinking like, are you thinking like the Pharisee where you are comparing your highlight reel to someone else's blooper reel and thinking that you're better? It's time to stop. Are you comparing your blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel? It's time to stop. Focus your eyes on him and let him do what only he can do. What is it you want to do in this life for him? If your eyes are on you, you'll never do it. If your eyes are on him, there's no end to what he can do through you. It's all about where we put our eyes. The Pharisee had his eyes on his successes. The tax collector had his eyes on his failures. My question is, what are your eyes gazed on right now? What is your gaze fixed on right now? Amen? Hey, listen, I can't, I can't stay, we can't stay around a whole lot longer. I clean up the building and get ready for round two, but, but here's what I want to do. If you're here today and maybe you've struggled with one or the other, you've had your eyes on yourself, you're either really, really happy with who you are. I can't imagine that going on in, in this room. This is a good group of people, man. I don't see a whole lot of like, I'm better than everybody else. I don't see that here. 
But maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum and you look at yourself and you're not happy with what you see. It's time to take your eyes off of you. Put on Jesus and let him do what he does. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and we're going to crank up this music. If you want to spend some time at the altar, just kind of dedicating yourself to saying, God, here I am, have mercy on me, and I'm willing to do whatever it is that you've called me to do. We're going to open the altars. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's where it all begins. That's where the, 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 the tax collector had the moment where it all began, when he said, God, have mercy on me. We want to do that as well. So if you've never accepted Jesus, come and talk to me. I want to, I want to talk with you and pray with you about it. Mainly, take your eyes off of you and your ability to get it wrong or your ability to get it right and put your eyes on him and his ability to sustain you and watch what happens. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to crank up the music. If you want to get to the altar, get to the altar. If you got questions, then come see us. If you got to go, you got to go. Let's focus our eyes on him and watch what he does. Amen? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your heart. And I thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to do miraculous things in us and through us, God. God, whether we're looking at ourselves and we're focused on our successes or we're looking at ourselves and we're focused on our failures, it doesn't matter. We need to have our eyes on you. I pray that we would fix our gaze upon you and let you do what it is that you do, God. Anoint us, God, to be able to go out into our community, into our workplace, into our kids' school, into our family meetings, into, into, into everywhere we go. Anoint us, I pray, to be a light and a witness and to show your love everywhere we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Crank up that music. If you want to get to the altar and worship some, do it. If you got to go, you got to go. 